Welcome everyone. I'm Dominica Lynch, the Executive Director of Latinos and Society at the Aspen Institute. And I am so delighted that you have chosen to spend the next hour with us for the unveiling of our latest Labor of Love, a collaboration between two Aspen Institute programs, Latinos and Society and the Economic Opportunity Programs Upskill America Initiative. And the unveiling of the report, Pathways to Digital Skills Development for Latino Workers. It's such an appropriate theme, especially during Hispanic Heritage Month, where we celebrate the diversity of our nation, the diversity of the Latino community, but also the contributions of Latino Americans. And what makes me so excited about this report is a report that is not meant to just be on your PDF file, but a report that is meant to be put into action. It is culturally competent. It is really a cross-sectional uh, report that really taps into the brain trust in our communities and Latino-led organizations uh, that are doing fantastic work upskilling Latino frontline workers, and also uh, of those most established corporations that are thoughtful about the importance of upskilling their workforce in a way that it meets them where they are in their learning journey. Um, I want to begin by thanking my colleague Colleen Maureen um, for uh, Maureen Conway, I'm sorry, for her um, leadership and thoughtfulness and, and really envisioning the way that our programs can work together. Uh, it's been a journey of two teams coming together, um, really leveraging other, re other research that has been done during the pandemic about what the needs are of workers in general and Latino workers in particular. So what you're going to hear today are some evidence-based uh, research, um, examples of those organizations and the front lines of that change, uh, stories of you know, the way that the Latino community is so resourceful. And with limited financial investments, they were able to keep their workers, think about digitizing their businesses, and at the same time, thinking through how upskilling their workers during the pandemic would serve them for long-term career growth. So I'm inspired. Um, it is one of the reasons that I joined the Aspen Institute was really to come to, come to a place to represent Latinos and have, be thoughtful about the research and the information that we co-create together. Um, I wanna give you some stats about why it's so important to focus on Latino workers. You've heard many times that we're the fastest growing minority group in the country. We're 62 million strong, 18% of the population, and also really driving the, the, the growth of the workforce. Six in 10 Latinos uh, are millennials or younger. Half of uh, US born Latinos are younger than 18 years of age. And in fact, the latest US census projected that Latinos will account for 78% of net new workers between 2020 and 2030. We know that during the pandemic, um, I know that while I worked safe at home, many of those essential workers and essential businesses were Latino owned and Latino workers. And, and it was through their efforts that I was able to continue to work at home. Uh, but I, you know, being mindful that, you know, they also need those opportunities to upskill and to grow because we know that as it stands, Latinos today, about 57% of them ages 16 to 64 have low to no digital skills compared to the US average of 31%. There's a lot of work to do, but what's so exciting about the report is that we don't focus on what's not right, but really at the opportunity. With the economy changing, with the nature of work changing, it really allows us to bring together cross-sector leaders to source solutions 
that are timely and that will work for the community. So I am delighted and grateful and want to thank also Google.org, Hector Mujica, for his leadership. It was really a conversation with him. But how do we bring together two different programs at the Aspen Institute, leverage the brain trust, and be thoughtful about a report that, that, again, is put into action. And I'm delighted to share with all of you that through our program, the Aspen City Learning and Action Lab, that we are creating um, an opportunity to implement many of the solutions and the strategies that you're going to hear about today. If you want to learn more about that program, go to our website. But the focus has been around entrepreneurship-led economic development. And you have to be holistic when you're thinking about growing the local economy and creating wealth. Uh, and that includes upskilling the entrepreneur and the worker as well. So with that, it is my honor. I'm so excited that you're going to get this opportunity to learn about the report. Please share it. Please follow us. And, and, and like I said, we're going to implement many of these solutions as well and learn along with you of what works in our country. And so with that, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce the newest director of Upskill America, Haley Glover. So off to you, Haley. Oh, thank you so much. I share your excitement, Dominica. Um, we are really glad to have you here today, listening live or listening after the fact to learn more about this work and to get mobilized to ensure that the public investments we're seeing and will see in the future in digital upskilling and skill development are made equitably and with insights from the community. So um, as mentioned today, you're going to hear from several of the leaders and practitioners that were featured in our recent report. Um, they are very excited to share their insights and experience in developing digital skills, particularly with an equity lens. This publication, as mentioned, is culmination of work between two teams, uh, the Latinos in Society program and Upskill America, which is an initiative of the Economic Opportunities Program. Our goal for this work uh, you know, was to better understand the challenges and the opportunities that Latino workers and Latino business owners face in our digital economy and to identify those promising business practices and partnership opportunities for developing digital skills within the Latino workforce. So our goals for today are pretty ambitious. Uh, we wanna aspire those of you in attendance and watching in the future to innovate and invest in support of digital upskilling, especially for Latino workers who are, as Dominica noted, most at risk of job displacement due to automation and digitization. We also wanna to use today as an opportunity to make a clear call for action. In 2021, Congress passed the Digital Equity Act, which allocates $2.75 billion for digital inclusion initiatives. The National Telecommunications and Information Administration is still assembling state administrating agencies for the digital equity programs, but now is the time to reach out to your state broadband leader network to get connected. My colleagues are gonna post that link in the information below. You all know that state plans, how these plans get developed for how these equity dollars will be spent will be highly dependent on who is at the table. So we encourage you to take a moment and identify your state office and let your voices be heard. Um, we wanna take a moment um, and give our profound thanks to google.org for supporting this important work and for advancing the goal of creating a future of shared prosperity for all. So please join me in welcoming Hector Mujica, Head of Economic Opportunity for the Americas with google.org. He is going to give some remarks on the importance of this work and our joint efforts. Thank you, Hector, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Haley. Thank you, Dominica. So, so proud to be here. Um, like Haley mentioned, my name is Hector Mujica and I lead economic opportunity efforts across the Americas for Google.org, which is Google's philanthropic arm. And before I begin, first and foremost, I would like to thank the incredible team 
at the Ask and Latino Sex Society and Upskill America programs. Thank you for your hard work to elevate this critical narrative. This is a topic that is deeply personal to me as a Latino in tech, and it's important to Google as a company that strives to create greater equity and access to opportunity, particularly for underserved and marginalized communities. As both Dominica and Haley mentioned, we know that technolo technological advancements are changing the requirements of our workforce. And Latino nonprofits engaged in workforce training must be responsive to the shifting market demands to best prepare Latino workers for the digital economy. According to Brookings, nearly two thirds of all jobs created since 2010 require either a high or medium level of digital skills. Now Latinos make up 18% of the overall US labor market and will account for one out of every two new workers entering the workforce by 2025 but also make up 35% of workers with no digital skills and 20% of those with limited, limited digital skills and only 8% of all those with STEM jobs. Latinos also hold jobs that are at the highest risk of elimination due to automation of any identity group at close to 60%. So the forecast is clear. Without digital skills, Latinos will be overrepresented in the groups that are excluded from economic opportunity. We understand the urgency of this reality at google.org, which is why we've been working closely with organizations like the Aspen Institute to leverage this moment in time as an opportunity to build a digital economy that is within reach for the Latino community. As such, we've been proud to be a founding supporter of this effort to better understand the challenges and opportunities that different communities in America face that thrive in the digital economy. And I also have the fortune and great pleasure to co-share the Aspen Task Force on Latino digital success, which aims to further advance this critical work. Now, shifting to this very exciting and potent panel that we have with us today, we're gonna hear from three organizations involved in digital skills development efforts with an equity lens. First is the Austin Community College, ACC, which has been listed as one of the top 25 community colleges for Hispanics. And their digital fluency for today's jobs initiative is a promising approach based on micro-credentials that combine both digital skills and soft or life skills training to improve students' employability. We'll also hear from Instituto de Progreso Latino, and organizations whose mission is to contribute to the development of Latino immigrants and their families. Their digital literacy program was developed with support from the Latino Digital Accelerator Program, an initiative by the Hispanic Federation funded by google.org to strengthen institutions serving the Latino community with workforce development and digital training programs, both in English and in Spanish. And lastly, the 32BJ Training Fund, a joint labor management organization that provides education and vocational training to eligible members of the 32BJ. This is a trade union that represents roughly 175,000 uh, building workers. They offer both basic and advanced digital skills programming, uh, focusing on specialized industry-specific software platforms and tools to support career advancement for their membership. This is an incredible lineup and convenings like this are critical to raising awareness of the significance that digital equity has for resilience, 
of both our society and our economy. I'm excited to dive into this session with you all and thrilled about this powerhouse panel and hope that you'll find it informative. But more than that, I hope that you'll, you'll lean into it as a rallying cry, as a signal for us to continue to gather our collective voices and determination to ensure that Latinos are equitably included in the digital economy. Now, please join me in welcoming the moderators for today's conversation, Victoria Prince, Research Associate at the Aspen Institute's Economic Opportunity Program, and Diego De La Snyder, Associate Director for Policy and Research at the Aspen Institute's Latino and Society Program. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hector, and thank you, Dominica and Haley, for kicking us off today. Um, so as Hector mentioned, my name is Victoria Prince, um, and again, we're delighted to welcome you to today's conversation on Pathways to Digital Skills Development for Latino Workers. Um, so we have some truly amazing guests joining us today to tackle this topic, um, and we'll introduce them in just a moment. But before we begin, a quick review of our technology. Um, all attendees are muted, but we still do want to hear from you. Um, we welcome your questions, so please use the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen to submit and upvote questions. We also encourage you to share your perspective if you have ideas, examples, resources, or experiences related to today's topics, please share those in the chat. And we always appreciate your feedback. Um, please take a moment to respond to our quick feedback survey, which will open in your web browser when you leave the webinar. Um, we encourage you to tweet about this conversation using the hashtag digital skills. And if you have any technical issues during this webinar, please message us in the chat or email us at eop.program at aspeninstitute.org, which is in the chat. Um, the event, of course, is being recorded and will be shared via email and posted on the website. And lastly, closed captions are available for this discussion. So please click the CC button at the bottom of your screen to activate them. And I think that's all for tech. So I'm gonna go ahead and pass it over to my colleague, Diego, to introduce himself. Thank you so much, Victoria. And thank you everyone for joining us today. My name is Diego Delir Snyder, and I am the Associate Director for Policy and Research at the Aspen Institute Latinos and Society Program. I'm very excited to be here today with these amazing leaders from different types of organizations working for our communities to make sure that uh, the new job opportunities in the digital economy are available to everyone. Uh, with Victoria and some other colleagues in the Aspen Institute, we have been working in this research project since May last year to improve our understanding of the needs and opportunities that Latino workers face in an increasingly digital economy. And especially since uh, the transformation of the economy that the COVID-19 pandemic implied. We conducted a survey to over 250 workforce organizations and employers around the country to understand the digital skills needs uh, and initiatives across different industries. We also interviewed over 30 workforce organizations and employers that were implementing promising approaches to digital skills development with an equity lens. The three organizations that are joining us today, Austin Community College, 32BJ Training Fund, and Instituto del Progreso Latino were all featured in our report in the case studies section. So it's our great pleasure to welcome and introduce our panel today. You can find their bios on our webinars website. Um, first of all, I would like to introduce uh, Linda Smarsik, the Dean of Digital Fluency and Innovation from the Austin Community College District, together with uh, Pamela Saez, Director uh, of Student Impact and Outcomes at the Austin Community College. 
Uh, welcome, Linda and Bam. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, we would like to start with both of you. Uh, it would be great if you could provide a brief overview of uh, the Austin Community College and its role in workforce development as a Hispanic serving institution. Sure. So hi, everyone. Um, to give you a little background, ACC serves approximately 70,000 students on 11 campuses over a very large district size of approximately the size of the state of New Jersey. Um, we are a designated Hispanic serving institute with 39% of our student body identifying as Hispanic, many of whom are first generation students and our Hispanic student demographic is also our fastest growing demographic. Uh, we provide face-to-face -face hybrid and online education, and we're considered a top Hispanic-serving online college within the state. We've also received the Seal of Excellencia certification and consider it an imperative to scale equitable academic and career outcomes for all of our students, as we all know that increased education coupled with digital workforce skills is a precursor to social and economic uh, mobility. So while the college is involved in multiple workforce initiatives and services, Linda's going to share with you a very quick example of how the Computer Science and Information Technology Division approached improving Hispanic outcomes within her area. Thanks, Pam. So one of the things since we're talking about uh, digital skills, we recognized um, pre-pandemic, we had a nice grant from the Department of Labor, and with it, it was to rebuild 41 courses into online workforce courses in the area of programming, competency-based education. When we started gathering data, we re realized quickly that our uh, Latina females, fantastic, did really well, great success rate. Our Latino males, 50% with failure rate. So we had to go back to the drawing board and figure that out. We did some surveys, we did some focus groups to find out what was happening. That was the beginning of recognizing that digital skills was so important. There were several initiatives that led to that. But in that, we built out uh, a pilot a couple of summers ago. And in this pilot, we found out we had there were two um, females in there who English was the second language. And we found out through this initiative that they dropped out Im immediately in this new pilot trying to offer these new digital skills. So with it, we kept going back to the drawing board, back to the drawing board. And we hope you see our story as we progress through this. But the pilot we did this last summer, this is a success story right here. We had four courses that were built out using these digital skills. Two of the courses were taken by female, English as a second language. And with it, I was asking if she wanted to come back and take the third course. She calls me professor. Yes, professor, I do. I am at University of Texas. I applied for a new job. I told the person I was applying for a new job with that I was taking these digital skills. She got the job. She got a raise. That's why we do this. That's why we're doing this. We know we're on the right track. Excellent. Thank you so much, Pam and Linda, for the brief overview. We will go deeper in the next few uh, sections. Now, I would like to also introduce Karina Ayala Bermejo. She's the president and CEO of Instituto del Progreso Latino in Chicago, Illinois. Karina, all to you. 
Gracias, Diego. I am so excited to be here with you. I could feel the urgency. We want part of that $2.7 billion. We want our fair share. I am Karina Ayala Bermejo. I have the privilege of being the president and CEO of Instituto del Progreso Latino here in Chicago. In the heart of some of the zip codes hardest hit with COVID. So we, very similar to Pamela's um, remarks, we were getting ready for some remote access. So fortunately, Instituto had some hotspots in the works, right? That gave us a bit of a leg up. But we know that the pandemic um, highlighted what we already knew, some of the inequities that existed. So to give you a, a broad view of the Instituto, we are celebrating our 45th anniversary. We are anchored here in Pilsen, where we serve primarily immigrant, Latino immigrants, and our mission is to ensure that they reach their fullest potential, and we do that through education, training, and employment. Because we're a social service agency that has two high schools, we have the benefit of 800 high school-age students um, that are ready to learn and grow with us. We also have workforce development programs that are specifically in healthcare, manufacturing, and retail. So we're an education hub for the family and our approach is we meet students where they're at. So the pandemic offered a unique opportunity to really dive into the digital divide and start attacking in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have had such fierce, laser-focused energy and urgency because we had to, right? We weren't going to allow our students to be, stay behind. We weren't going to allow our abuelitas and abuelitos that learn with us, ESL, and the, um, the track to citizenship requires the ability to continue learning and have access. So we immediately learned that we had to meet where they're at, right? Do you have a device that you can learn with us? Nope, let's get you those devices. So I would be remiss if I didn't thank um, Hector, Mojica, and Google for their partnership in our digital accelerator program and Hispanic Federation and all of the partners that have helped us ensure that we didn't lose our participants. And we serve over 6,000 families. So it was urgent for us in an area that was hardest hit to keep the um, connectivity, to keep the learning, and to keep the access to our participants. So I'm, I'm honored to be here, Diego. Excellent. Thank you so much, Karina. And yeah, Instituto Progreso Latino is a great success story. We are excited to hear more about it in the next couple of minutes. And then it's my pleasure to introduce James Barry. He's the Senior Manager of Program Development at 32BJ Training Fund. Welcome, James. Thank you, Diego. Um, I could tell you a little bit about uh, the 32BJ Training Fund. And uh, if you have not heard of it, it's a union that represents 175,000 members along the East Coast. And about a little over 50% of that membership is Latino. Uh, while many of the members do come to us for basic uh, skills that they would use on their jobs, such as heating, electricity, plumbing, we also do a lot of work with uh, members who are trying to learn English. So I'd say most of the population is uh, an immigrant population, and some people have limited skills, uh, language skills in their, in their own languages as far as writing. So we work with them on English skills and also more and more computer literacy. Uh, the building industry is just becoming very heavily automated. 
And if you're working in a commercial building or a residential building, you really need to interact with a variety of systems. There are systems that people use to communicate with tenants. They, they have to, the members would have to track packages. Um, they have to track keys for different people, work tickets. So there's all sorts of interactions and it's definitely something that's been revealed that there are still parts of the membership, although some are very uh, experienced and do things like using building management systems and some even use AutoCAD. There's other people that were, were working to try to help them uh, use a PC. Uh, there's people that don't have a smartphone. So there's this really wide kind of range and we wanna make sure that everyone's in a position to excel and uh, to do better at their jobs. And also just, you really need computer literacy just to, to really do anything in your, in your life at this point. Excellent, thank you so much, James. Uh, we invite all the panelists to keep their cameras on now as we engage in the panel conversation. And uh, we can start perhaps with Austin Community College just to provide a brief overview on how the Digital Fluency for Today's Job initiative uh, was developed and what are the main uh, elements that uh, are part of the, of the initiative. Uh, I know that Linda and Pam, you have a brief presentation to share with us. So please uh, go ahead. Sure, so um, the way our Digital Fluency initiative actually evolved was that ACC received a Federal, um, a federal grant called the Back to Work 50 Plus Grant. It was actually provided by the Social Innovation Fund and AARP Foundation. And it was part of the Women's Economic Stability Initiative, which was attached to a federal impact study because research was showing that women in the United States were sliding into poverty after the age of 60 due to major life transitions, such as the death of a spouse. And because we know women tend to be the major caretakers in society, they often experience extended work gaps. So ACC was tasked with providing digital job search training to help primarily women return to the workforce. However, what the program highlighted was a digital skills gap for 75% of our participants, of which 40% were Hispanic. Now, you can imagine if you've been out of the workforce for even six months these days, there's so much technological change and disruption that even that length of time can create stress. But if you've been out of the workforce for a number of years and you're required to now use LinkedIn and Indeed and other job search engines, you know, requiring the use of filters to optimize your job search, and maybe you have to get your, not you absolutely have to get your resume through an applicant tracking system. So it requires the use of you know, applications like JobScan or AI-driven interview practice software applications. And we're talking about a group of um, a demographic that's used to just being able to hand their resume to somebody and shake their hand, right? So it was an amazing amount of getting them up to speed, not just with the digital skills to get a job, but then what were the, the digital skills that were lacking to hold down the job and so Linda's going to explain some of the ways we were trying to help them within the college. Okay, you heard me earlier talk about our four courses that we were working on and we found out and we're looking at the top 
digital skills needed by someone to be able to get an entry-level job. And we found out Word, PowerPoint, Excel, Access, no surprise, Web Builder, Photoshop, HTML, Web Analytics. And so what we did in working with these, we uh, had Pilot 1 as course, Pilot 2 as a course, um, and even a third pilot. We went, we can do better than that. So we developed these micro-credentials, small units of learning, 20 to 26 hours each, that a student can take as standalone or that it can be in, go alongside the curriculum with a faculty member. In that the focus of being able to have a, um, a Latino be feel comfortable, we are embedding Latino in, uh, uh, digital navigators into the each unit with it to recognize these 16 uh, these 16 micro credentials they lead to individual badges their competency-based education on top of that they have somebody who's going to be working with them directly each one of them has professional skills as you can see that we're embedding each leads to a micro certificate and then finally, each one leads back to, because they started out as four courses, they lead back to credit. And um, with this, we believe we are excited and we feel like we have found a holy grail with this. Uh, and we are in the middle of launching it. We had our first launch this last summer with um, fantastic success rates. So to be continued. Sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing, Linda and Pam. Um, I'd also like to um, pivot to Karina. She's available right now. Not Okay, great. Just making sure you weren't having technical difficulties. Um, so we'd love to learn more about um, Instituto's customized approach to digital skills programming for your nursing students, as well as your high school and community in general. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Certainly. Thank you, Victoria. We have a philosophy, right, that we meet students where they're at. So we have two distinct programs, or actually three. Um, the first that I'll talk about is the Digital Accelerator Program, primarily for the individuals who were already in our learning system. So taking, for example, those that are in our ESL courses, right, English as a Second Language, um, the age range for those are, are more elder and generally more Spanish-speaking. They're learning how to speak English with us. So we learned so much from our beautiful abuelitos and abuelitas about simple things, right? How to use the smartphone, how to connect to Zoom. Are we comfortable with moving to a laptop? And then meeting them where they're at, removing those obstacles, providing the devices. So as we paired up with our basic computer skills, sometimes it's even more basic than that, and attaching that to ESL, we were able to get a continuity of attendance, continuity to the specific contextualized learning that was needed, right? So if they're learning English because they have a specific purpose in citizenship, like we're working towards that contextualized learning. These were about 45 hours um, where we had then attached, in addition to the regular ESL coursework, a Saturday that was focused on the digital learning. We learned so much. We learned that as first when we, when we launched it, um, we were doing English flyers, shame on us. We should have learned that we should have immediately put up bilingual or Spanish uh, flyers um, and then really work to tweak it and learn as we grew. We also learned that 
the questions that you ask are so specifically important, right? Not the, do you have a computer at home? It's, does everyone have a learning device at home, right? You can't have one computer for eight folks in a family. You need each individual technology and a device to be able to learn with us. So we tweaked it as we went along. Really proud to share that we have 98 students enrolled now at different levels. We're meeting them where they're at. And we just had 65 complete the program and we're on track for all folks to complete the program because we have wraparound services and we meet them where they're at. On the nursing side, we're so excited about what we're doing here with our Latino Equity Center. So we have a college of nursing. We graduated our first two cohorts. We're so thrilled that we have an um, associate degree in nursing that accelerates at no cost to our students their, their learning. We know that navigating the world post-graduation and 100% our folks pass the NCLEX and our RNs, that they needed additional skill sets, right? This digital upskilling was so critically important, specifically in ATI, which is the advanced testing instruments. It's the platform used in hospitals to be able to, you know, be uh, speedy in capturing patient um, stats and capturing the interactions and conversations between the nurse and the patient. So we were able with this partnership um, to be able to, to add that component, right? Not just the important didactics and the clinicals, but these important digital skill sets that we know are gonna make a tremendous difference in their success as RNs. So acquiring those skills before they get into the environment where it becomes overwhelming then to learn. We have 62 students enrolled there and we are on track to have 62 complete um, by this next Thursday. So we're so thrilled um, with the success and being able to adjust to where our students are at. So if we are students that are learning English, that's where we meet them. If we have students that are at our highest level in our college, that we adjust and we tweak the curriculum and offer those digital upskilling opportunities for them as well. Beautiful, thank you so much for sharing. Um, we love to hear about the approach of meeting people where they are, I think that's fantastic. Um, let's go ahead and move on to James or begin with James. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about your early work in digital inclusion? Because we understand that this is not, this is not new for y'all. Um, could you talk a little bit more about the computer purchase program from the early 2000s and um, what needs you were addressing and what led your organization as a labor management org to shift to um, develop and offer digital, digital literacy courses? Sure. Um, I joined in the early 2000s as well, so I kind of coincided with the launch of this program. But one of the things that makes a joint labor management partnership so effective is that both parties, you know, the labor side and the management side are working together to to help the, the members become more skilled and also to address other aspects that, that kind of cross the line between work and uh, just home life. And in the early 2000s, it was probably about 50% of households in the US had a personal computer. And in as far as the members, it was less than that. So there was really a question of well what's going to happen if we don't address this and a lot of people aren't making their office cleaners their janitors 
they're not making the kind of money where they could invest in a computer at this point. So there was a discussion with uh, the management and 32BJ and they made a partnership with, it was Dell at the time. And we were able to put 5,000 computers into the hands of 32BJ members. Um, as part of that program, there was also a training. So people came in and then they had to do, uh, it was at that point, it was very short. It was only a three hour training. You know, how do you turn the computer on? How do you log in? Um, basic troubleshooting. We, we set up also some wraparound services with um, help desks, obviously it was English, Spanish. We also do Albanian and Polish or our main languages. So that was kind of the, the beginning of our computer program. And then once people brought the computer home, then they started having more interest in, okay, let's, what's Windows, what's Word, let's look at Excel. And it was kind of running parallel with just their jobs, you know, it, on, on the job, if you're, let's say, a lead cleaner, you might have to be check, checking inventory or creating schedules. So it would really was coinciding with what they were doing at, uh, at the job as well. So we sort of expanded from there to do uh, Word classes, and these are 33-hour classes. It was Word, Excel, uh, PowerPoint. That was not exactly something they needed at the job, most people, but it was uh, close enough that, you know, again, it was it's kind of a general literacy, similar to it, it the same as a language. There are things that you're going to use and cross over uh, to your home life. But we started doing that. And uh, it just kept expanding past past there. And uh, we've done Google Suite classes. So that's obviously a big change for people and just sort of explaining what's the difference between like um, Word and Docs is a pretty, it's just funny like to kind of think about ways that you could sort of frame these things because it's, it's uh, a lot to take in if, if you're new to computers. Um, we moved on to smartphone classes, so we did like iPhone classes, Android classes, um, and then more advanced. So as we were kind of trying to raise the bar for everybody, just general literacy, then there was also people that used uh, building management systems to control HVAC systems in their building to control lighting systems. Um, and that's a very technical type of skill set. So we were able to uh, create a, a year-long program around that. And also running a building with a computer is another one that's more advanced. Um, and that really looked at communication, similar to like an Outlook, but just within a building, uh, a thing called Building Link, another software called LogCheck, which involves uh, what members would do or workers would do is you'd have to do, uh, you'd have to walk your building and log different data points. So you'd have to look at what's the temperature of a particular item or what's uh, the pressure. And then they would input that into a tablet. So that's something that they would use immediately. So that's obviously from a learning standpoint, a lot easier when someone could just apply it right away. Um, and also AutoCAD. So those are kind of the, the range of things that we've kind of starting from that initial comp computer purchase program and then um, all the way up to kind of where we are now. And then we have some other things that I'd like to talk about later about where we're going in the future.
Thank you so much, James. Very, very interesting. And this takes me to the next question. And I would like to start with you, Karina, uh, since what James was uh, uh, sharing with us is uh, the importance of working in all three uh, uh, pillars to digital inclusion, right? The access to digital devices, the, the access to uh, high-speed internet, and uh, the development of digital skills to use those devices. Uh, but then also a lot of other wraparound supports are required in order to ensure the success of these efforts. So I know, Karina, that your approach in Instituto is very holistic and that you provide several different services to participants. We would love to hear more about that. Of course. Thank you, Vago, for that really important question. It speaks to the heart of what Instituto does when we meet people where they're at. We're talking about the intake process that we have. So as you become a part of the Instituto family, you have a team, you have a case manager, you have an employment specialist, you have an income specialist, you have the ability to also connect with the many services that we have, including immigration and other. So as part of the intake process, we are triaging what needs are more critical. Um, I often share that it is hard to focus and learn if you're hungry, Right. So immediately Instituto became a hub for distribution of all different kinds during COVID. Just yesterday, we did our monthly healthy food, um, produce, uh, healthy fruits and vegetables distribution that the community comes to us. And that's how we lead. We lead by addressing the needs that the community tells us they need. Um, early on, we did a survey and our participants told us that. Right. Number one, food, income and rental support, um, and then, of course, mental health issues that are really important to, to address. So you can't learn, you can't grow, you can't without addressing those basic needs. So that's how we approach it. It is um, an absolute uh, formula for success with us. When we register a student, we enroll the whole family. And because we're able to offer not just high school education, um, but education, where our roots are in adult education, we really are working with entire families. And I think that is our strength, to be able to remove the obstacles. And we know that sometimes individuals will need to go off the ramp, right? And we want to encourage them to come back on because our case managers are calling saying, oh, so what happened? I didn't see Ophelia at class tonight. What, what was the issue? Oh, I didn't have gas or I didn't have public transportation. Well, here you go. We have a card. We have and come back and get it. So it is our responsibility, privilege, um, and we do that with great pride and dignity to remove the obstacles that our students face so they can come and learn, they can come and thrive, they can come and be successful and reach their dream, wherever it may be, nurse, manufacturing, or being the next um, entrepreneur. So that is our approach. It's been really successful, um, and it does require the entire Instituto team to be working as one. Great, thank you so much for that, Karina. And speaking of treating, um, treating your population with a holistic approach. Um, there's a lot of interest in troubleshooting and IT support in the audience. And um, I see that Linda and Pam, you've been responding, but I'd like to invite you both, as well as Karina and James, feel free to chime in whenever, um, to talk a little bit more about how um, your organizations use, um, provide IT support or troubleshooting to make sure that students are successful in your programs. So 
you know, we, we approach things in much the same way Karina does with her organization, very holistic, everything from fruit, food to mental health, to a lot of hand holding to, and, and involving the entire family as well. And we love that. Um, one of the things that we've created are digital navigators, which are tutors on steroids. They are, um, they are adjunct faculty members. They can even be advanced students. Uh, they provide not only uh, emotional support, but grading, and they kind of uh, plug in interventions when they see that a student gets into trouble, because there's a lot of communication like, hey, I see that you missed uh, this, you know, you haven't been plugged into the platform in a week. Uh, is, there, is there anything going on that we can help you out with? So it could be anything from gas cards, you're right, to our food pantry, to um, I need help getting my car fixed because, you know, those are the kinds of things that are going on. But Linda, do you want to add to that? Sure. In terms, of, I'm going to pull out in terms of the IT skill set. Of course, we have a help desk where a student can call in and say, I need help with, I can't install this software. Each department is a little bit different. Each department supports that a little bit different. The college supports it as a soul, as a whole with basic general, um, um, let me see what I can do to help you with this technical problem. And each department does it a little bit differently. In addition, in our each, we use Blackboard and in Blackboard, uh, everybody's supposed to use it. There's a whole area that is get started and this is where you go to get technical support. So it's, it's holistic and then it's department driven as well. Um, one of the departments that I work with um, in the game development department, we have somebody who's a lab person who very specifically helps the student in terms of IT, I can't get my software uploaded for Photoshop. So it's, I, I hope that answers the question, but it is, um, it, it, the college takes that very seriously. And um, I would agree with everything you've said. I think that the, the having the helpline um, at Institute, we also have the pre and post class time where our instructors are available. I love the tutor on steroids. We have one of those folks there's called Dean Banks. Um, we also have learned that our Latino community loves the Facebook. They love the Facebook Live, and we've been very successful at pushing out information, especially how to's and using the chat box to really focus in on, you know, what's not working, what's working. So simple things like how to use a Zoom, and we're doing it through Facebook time because somehow that is the, the vehicle that they really feel comfortable with sharing. So that's where we push out a lot of information and going live ticks on their phone. So we have our folks that are watching our Facebook page um, kind of be alerted so that they can join in. Yeah, we I have think, a. I think one last thing we are also going to open up a Discord <laughs> where students can talk with each other and people can intervene in that way. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. My apology. Oh, no problem. Um, yeah, we have a help desk, like general kind of help desk, multilingual. Uh, helped us, but also we've been doing like short videos, especially with, with Zoom, you know, how do you get on Zoom, how to troubleshoot on Zoom. So that, that's been, I think that's been helpful for people and also just partnering a tech person with an instructor. And I, I think I hadn't mentioned, but CellEd is something we've been using where it's a phone-based um, English and citizenship training. So you don't have to have a smartphone. It's just like texting. 
but we also have assigned teachers with that that check in kind of I haven't heard from you in a while and that kind of thing. Excellent. Uh, my next question, it seems that there is also some interest among the audience around uh, assessments and how to understand uh, where participants are in terms of their digital skills needs and, and, and development. So I would like to ask James first, uh, since I know that 32BJ Training Fund developed some assessments to understand which would be the best fit for each participant, if you can talk a bit more about that. Sure. Um, our assessments are generally um, done a couple of different ways. We have some that people come in and we just have them at a computer and we have a kind of a test that they would just take that's an asynchronous uh, test. Um, so we just sit them down in, in the lab and kind of have them do that. Or there's other forms, like we do a lot of Google forms to kind of test out. And then depending on uh, where the person is, if it's a super basic user, then we would just pair them with a coach. So it really depends if it's more the advanced uh, type uh, like the running a building class or the, the building management class, then it's more demonstrating what you know. But the other one is more almost like a sort of tutoring slash assessment, uh, similar to how you would do, uh, yeah, like more, more like a, I guess, a warmer kind of assessment. I'm happy to go next. Um, at, at Instituto, we use tape testing, which measures the math English proficiency to be able to pair someone on a grade level, if you will. So we'd like to get our students to be at least at a sixth grade level um, proficiency, and then we go from there. So we're starting really, really wherever the student is. Some of them are pre-literate, and we make sure that they're learning their alphabets and getting on a track for literacy. So it really just depends on the student's skill sets. And then we ask what's the end goal, right? If the end goal is, um, I want to communicate via FaceTime with my grandchildren because I haven't seen them, you know, that's where we start. And we have different levels of stackable experiences, if you will, than to get to the end goal. And some of them, it is a longer journey. Some of them, it really is to, to enable the access to the education that they're having here with Instituto, specifically ESL or citizenship. Um, and we're able to then track their progress and encourage them on a different, um, like Pamela has these beautiful micro credentials, we have like stackable credentials that then lead to a longer term career pathway. I think um, for us, this is our quality enhancement plan. And it just officially started September 1st. So in that we did have a pilot this last summer. But as you know, with your quality enhancement plan with your accrediting agency, you have to gather more data than you than you need for a Department of Labor grant. That's all there is to it. So with our assessments, we are it's everything from direct and indirect uh, formative. We there's a pretest in front of each uh, unit, each competency, and they must make a 90%. And then for because it's competency based education, they must make 80% to be able to get their badge. Uh, we use AAC and U for the professional competencies and uh, map back into that. But it's um, it's a tremendous amount of data that we are gathering. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we also do pre and post assessments. And that data is also critically important to then guide next steps. Definitely, it's key to, to be tracking uh, what is going on, right? And understand if we are having any impact with the, the, the programming available. 
So I, I know that we are running out of time and I would like to uh, allow for some time for the audience to make questions as well. So in closing, uh, I would like to merge two questions. The first part of it would be lessons learned. Uh, so in your journey developing these initiatives, what, what do you wish you knew back then and you know now that could be uh, useful for members of the audience as they work on this topic with their communities? And then uh, what is your vision for your initiative in the next five years? So uh, I don't know if uh, maybe we can start with ACC. Pam, you wanna start? I think um, Diego, for our vision, you know, we see digital fluency as something that is exploding and accelerating. Everybody needs an expanding dig digital skill set. And so even though we've well researched these 16 micro credentials and high demand um, computer workforce skills, we know these are going to be constantly changing. It's a very dynamic environment, right? So we'll be revising, we'll be sunsetting some, we'll be adding others. So for the future, it's just constantly going to be growing and adding what our students need so that they can procure family sustaining wages and much better because our housing in Austin has just exploded astronomically. And so what our students are really struggling with is paying rent and mortgages and that sort of thing, and even staying in district because it's so expensive. So that sort of thing. Um, in terms of the challenges, that's okay, uh, okay great. Okay. So um, lessons learned. I believe one of the most amazing aspects of this is getting the word out because the data shows this, the research shows that this has to happen. But being able, we're so grateful to be able to talk uh, here today getting the word out, but it's internally too, internally in the college and externally and building those. It was a question that we had of those partnerships. There has to be strong partnerships internally. How do you transcript what we're doing? How do you, uh, you know, and uh, how do you then turn around and a student can show that they have these badges? So a lot of internal work and a lot of external work, because not only is it the piece of uh, digital fluency, but it is the piece that it must be equitable, period. And so that is just talk, 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 and hopefully you can be clear with your story. And of course, we're starting kind of a school from the ground up. There's, you know, that's, that's quite the challenge in and of itself. Well, I'll start with lessons learned and end with vision. Uh, we've learned that you must, must, must use an approach that isn't a one-size-fits-all, right? Every learner is unique. You have to customize it to the learner. We learned very early on that you must also have one-to-one -one tutoring, right? You can give someone a fish, but no, show them how to fish, right? Show them how by the one-on-one -on -one instruction, and they will be fine for a lifetime. The, the other critical just gem that we learned is that the... Um, the devices is so critical, right? Don't ask the, do you have a computer at home? Ask the, do you each have a learning device? Because what you then learn is I can't attend class because my son is on online learning or we have um, internet issues because we have six individuals learning at home. So really asking the right kinds of questions so that you don't lose the progress and the momentum. As far as the vision, it would be so critically important to get our fair share of that $2.7 million, isn't that right? We are doing what works. 
we're having high success rate, high completion rates. We want in the next five years to connect our participants with skills that have the highest income potential. We wanna be able um, to adjust to where those opportunities are and being prepared to, uh, to feed the pipeline. So we're starting as early as our high school students, right? And following them throughout so that they can graduate with, with some credentials and preparing them for very lucrative careers beyond, yes, livable, sustainable wages, but like where are those high potential opportunities that we can start looking into? And that's where Instituto wants to be. I think uh, one simple thing that I definitely realized, um, and this was, I think around COVID, you know, revealed this when we had to quickly go from in-person classes to remote, is that smartphone literacy isn't computer literacy. And there's a lot of people that really know smartphones, but if they have to take a more advanced course and they have to use the computer, it's like, it's starting, you know, from ground zero. So I think that was something, you know, we realized it also, you know, during COVID as well, we we have a lot of classes that are on site uh, with cleaners. And, um, you know, there was one in particular, it was March and we were right, right about to start. It's a 10 hour training and it's for a lead point for the building. And, you know, we had to go remote right away. So we had people using smartphones and some people didn't have smartphones and they're trying to do assessments and they're sharing phones. And it was just like, it really let us see, okay, maybe I, I'm not seeing the whole picture here. I'm sort of seeing the, the more people, the people that show up who, who are more engaged and like speaking up, they're okay, but it's other people that we're, we're probably clearly missing. Um, so we're starting a, a Chromebook program where people who have taken online classes on their phone, people who are calling the help desk and have issues, we're reaching out to them to offer them a Chromebook to take online and remote classes um, because it definitely seems like that's you know you could do thing you do it once so we did a computer purchase program but it's just it keeps changing and there's always new things to learn and there's always new uh, issues that pop up and i think that and wi-fi are the, are the big things that we're trying to address right now Excellent, James. Partnership, partnership, partnership. Shame on me. Partnership, partnership, right? The funders who fund the work that we do, Hispanic Federation and so many others, Google, um, you know, Comcast in Chicago. They're so you have to partner to make this all work. That's definitely the spirit. Thank you, Karina. Um, before we start with the questions from the audience, I want to briefly uh, clarify, there is a question on the chat about uh, the grant funding that panelists were referring to. This is the digital equity programs. Uh, the Digital Equity Act was passed in Congress last year, 2021, uh, allocating $2.75 billion for digital inclusion initiatives. Now the state authorities are developing their state digital equity plans. There is a period of around a year for them to complete those plans. And that's why it is essential for community-based organizations and local leaders to engage in this process to make sure that the state plans are considering the needs and aspirations of our communities all around the country. So that's why this webinar is also a platform uh, for a call to action. So now moving to the questions from the audience, um, there is a question that has been asked for at least two of you already, and it seems that there is a lot of interest around uh, the ACC uh, 16 micro-credentials and how they flow back to the four courses, and specifically if there is any uh, specific track for small business owners within the initiative. 
So I don't know, Linda, Pam, if you want to, to reply to that. Sure. So what we did is we had a, there is a story with this. The story began as four courses and we got a grant for that partnerships. Thank you, Karina. Partnerships. And in this grant, it allowed us to build these four courses using these digital fluency skills and still meet our uh, SACs. I mean, our um, what we need is called WECM for our state um, parameters around it. We built these four courses out, but then because the four courses were built, we were able to lift that curriculum up and then take it over and divide it out into these micro-credentials, which is fantastic. And in these micro-credentials, we then can track them completely back, five go back to the course that we just built out. And so that's how it tracks back. And I have it, I have the um, paperwork signed, sealed and delivered. So that is fantastic with that. In terms of does it track to a business, the micro-credentials track to 13 credit hours. That becomes an occupational skills award that then tracks up to one of two certificates and degrees, app development, coding and design, or computer user support. In terms of does it track to a business certificate or degree at this time, it does not. But we totally recognize that as we get through this year and a half of building out these micro-credentials, entrepreneurship is a track that is, is just screaming at us to build. So we recognize that as well. Um, I hope that answers that. Thank you, Linda. Uh, the next question is from Garrett Matsuda. Uh, she was mentioning uh, the challenge of building buy-in from the community in order for these initiatives to be successful. So how to convince folks that it's important to develop uh, digital skills, to uh, um, adopt some of these new technologies. She mentions that, uh, sorry, he mentions that some uh, of, of the people he's trying to work with mentioned things such as why change we have always done things this way for decades and th things have been going well so far. So I don't know if maybe Karina, you want to, to answer to this question, how to ensure that our communities understand the importance of digital skills development and what can be instrumental in order to do so. Absolutely. And part of it is the success with the first round of folks in cohorts, right? Word of mouth travels so quickly and it is our most successful participants that go bring us other family members. So you wanna make sure that those wraparound services are truly working to remove obstacles so that there's success. How do you get the first group of folks um, interested? Well, you have to go out and you have to market. We learned with our flyers that they have to be in Spanish and in English. We know that we have to put them everywhere, not just um, in our schools, in the corners of our walls, but out in the community. We've learned how to use Facebook Live very, very well. And we have events that capture the audience of our communities, like our food distributions, where we put flyers and information out. So there is no shortage of opportunities where you will see our flyers, whether it's at music festivals and back to school um, yards um, or big barbecues, whatever we can do to get it out. And then when you have the students, you have to commit to excellence and quality and ensuring that success because that success will go back into the community and they'll be your best ambassadors. And I, th I think I'd like to add one more thing that when Latino families understand, like in Austin, there are a lot of Latino entrepreneurs and they have landscaping businesses and cleaning businesses, but what they don't have are 401k plans and health insurance 
and all of the social welfare safety net items that really create more stability like paid time off. And so when we talk to our students, we're also bringing in their families and explaining to them that this will provide much more um, security in the end for you and your families and a higher level of income. And that's why these skills are so important. Great, thank y'all for that. Um, I also wanna point to another question from, I hope I'm saying your name right, Beatrice. Beatrice, um, but do you recommend any specific kinds of devices? So Chromebooks or PCs from your experience working with um, these populations, are there any um, insights you'd like to share on the on specific devices? Well, I can share that Chromebooks are, are pretty inexpensive, especially if you have a large audience in which you need to quickly access um, those devices. So we did go with Chromebooks for the majority of our high school students. We then um, focused primarily on laptops for our seniors and our adult learners that were ready to use those. Those seem to be more user-friendly for our adult population. I would just add on the Chromebooks uh, to have you know a headset and a mouse because the tracking pad is definitely difficult for people who aren't familiar with that. Um, but again, we were looking at that as, in general, just an expense level and then seeing how the how it goes and hopefully expanding it. What we're doing at ACC is we began, again, through a grant, uh, a lending library of computers. We only have 20 at this moment, but they are PCs. And we have several that are out, which we are part of the previous Digital Fluency Initiative with a couple of those um, uh, courses that I was talking about. And that when you hear the horror stories about what's happening for them with their devices, you're just delighted that you're able to get them these devices. We'd like to build on this and uh, we're gonna probably be reaching out to, we have some contacts here, we're reaching out. But, but the college also offers iPads and, and other devices besides those 20 for the entire student body. Excellent, thank you so much for sharing your insights on that. There is another question that I think it's very relevant for both ACC, but also Instituto, given that Instituto has the high schools and the nursing college. Uh, so Luz Gamarra was asking, um, hi everyone, about digital skills for Latinos. How do you think, uh, what do you think are the main changes or commitments which are necessary from higher education institutions? Oh, that's a great question. Um, again, I think it's the approach that uh, you are, especially in higher education, age levels may be very different, right? Sometimes our adults are putting their education on hold so that their, their children can get there and, and then they decide they want to go in. So just understanding that the higher education is an opportunity for all ages and that you are acquiring families. Um, that have different kinds of needs and may require social services and support services like the ones we talked about, those wraparound services that help address where the barriers and the blockages are um, and very much be committed to removing those obstacles. We need to see an increase in the Pell Grants and we're beginning to see some of that right now. We know that our populations are very high volume and um, in going into education and you're going to have multiple students right you have families with several students in college 
Um, I know I'm not the only mom experiencing that. We have several teens that are in college, so you have to make that all affordable and help understand that City Colleges is a super viable option to be able to make college affordable. Um, I know that the Hispanic serving institutions need more help. I will make that pitch. And as we continue to um, think about um, higher education, also think about the pipeline that connects into it so that our pipeline has the resources it needs to be successful when they get to that higher level education. Yeah, that was, thank you, Karina. The retention. Uh, I would add that piece, retention, 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 because we watch students come in all excited and then something happens, life happens. For instance, the story I told at the very beginning of the woman, English as a second language, got the job at um, UT, she was in the janitorial area, and then she was able to get out of this area and move into a different area. She took two of the courses. Again, this is a predecessor to these digital fluency micro credentials. She took two of the courses. There were two more to take. She enrolled in the third. She dropped out because she was too busy with her new job. And so for me, I think that becomes, if we can figure out that piece, um, that will be huge. Lots of wraparound services, engagement, and then caring, caring, caring. And so that's one of the things that we are doing with the digital navigators, caring first, uh, organization, and make sure everybody is, uh, you contact them. Excellent. So I think we have time for one last question. Do you, go, uh, do you want to go ahead, Victoria? And then we, we close it up. Sure, yes. Thank you so much again for all of your questions and participation. Um, let's go ahead and close it out with this one last question from Evelyn. Um, so for those of us, or for those of us in the audience who are looking to gather resources and connect them with entrepreneurs and small business owners in the local Latino community, do you have any advice on first steps? Like where, where, where would you advise people to start in doing this kind of work? Go to your chambers of commerce immediately, get to know who they are and all of the local businesses that are part of those chambers of commerce, um, both in the, in the neighborhoods that you're in and then uh, citywide, statewide, there's chambers of commerce that can help propel and connect those opportunities. I know anytime we try to open up a career pathway, we're working very closely with the chambers of commerce, but we're also working closely with the employers. So they ensure that when we have our graduates and they go through the programs that they also have jobs. But yes, definitely, I would start there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much uh, to our amazing panelists today. It has been so, so uh, illuminating to hear all of you and learn from your experiences working on this critical topic. Uh, we also would like to, uh, once again, um, call to action to all of you to engage in the process of the digital equity programs, connect with your state authorities, make sure your voice are heard, and uh, have a say in what the needs of your communities and aspirations of your community communities are in this digital economy. We invite you all to stay tuned to both uh, Aspen Latinos and Society program and the Economic Opportunity program in the Aspen Institute. Um, the, 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 the programming we will be developing ahead uh, we will keep on, on, on sharing on our mailing list and, and our website, so please keep an eye open. 
Uh, additionally, I take the opportunity to invite all of you, if you're interested, uh, to join us for our Latino Business and Entrepreneurship Summit, which is taking place in Washington, D.C. on October 18th. Uh, we will be featuring two different panels on Latinos in the digital, digital economy, as well as additional presentations from experts and practitioners in entrepreneurial and business support with an equity lens. So you can join the summit either in person or virtually. Uh, we will be sharing the link to the event uh, on the chat. And uh, Victoria, all to you. Yeah. Thank you, Diego. I'd also like to invite you to um, EOP's next event on employee ownership, which will also be in the chat. Link to register and learn more will be um, updated soon. So hope to see you there. And we also wanna thank Maureen Conway, a vice president at the Aspen Institute and executive director of EOP. Um, Jamie Fall, former director of the Upskill America Initiative within EOP and Haley Glover, the current director of Upskill America for their continued vision and leadership in this work. I'd also like to thank all of the EOP team members, including Tony Mastria, Martina Reed, Adrian Lee, Amy Blair, Mahona Sadiq, and everyone who helped with their with event preparation and production. Um, kicking it over to you, Diego. Sure. We would also like to thank the Latinos and Society team, including our executive, executive director, Dominica Lynch, for her vision around this topic, uh, but also team members such as Sylvia Green, Grayson Peltier, and Yesenia Sanchez. Uh, we also want to acknowledge Google.org, Hector Mujica in particular, for their support and involvement in this critical issue. And um, well, thank you so much for everyone who has been uh, posting and sharing on social media using the hashtag digital skills. Uh, it's great to see that the conversation has resonated with all of you. And Victoria, do you want to say the last few words? Sure, yeah. Thank you so much again to the audience for joining and sharing your questions and comments. We encourage you to um, connect with us, but also each other outside of this event. Um, and please do take a moment to respond to our quick feedback survey, which will open in your web browser as you leave the webinar. You can also send us an email at latinosandsociety at aspeninstitute.org or eop.program at aspeninstitute.org to let us know what you think. Um, we love to hear from you and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great afternoon.